to thank you for each testimony given tonight. And Lord, we want to thank you that it was not just everyone saying the same thing, but each testimony of uh, differed in uh, because it's a real part of different lives. And we thank you for being concerned with us as individuals, as a church. Lord, we're thankful that even though there was some dissension today, there were people that had a heart to do what is right and are willing to follow. And Lord, now that they're willing to follow, we must see the miracles that only you can do. Lord, we just thank you that we can trust you and we can put our faith in you in every situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord willing, next Sunday, Brother Leland will be starting a class with some of the uh, young people, their college-age kids that are coming from downstairs, upstairs, because they understand English a little better than they do Spanish. And uh, he's going to be trying to uh, give them the gospel, take them through the discipleship and and these things, and this is important. These, uh, at least one of the young men is unsaved, and uh, but they have been curious. They've been coming. They usually sit over on the side there. It's about four, four or five of them, something like four of them. And so, I want you to uh, pray uh, about that as we try to reach out. We've talked to Brother and Mrs. Saravia, and uh, they have said, please, we. We cannot reach them because English is the language that they know and understand. And so, uh, just uh, ask that you would keep us, in, uh, especially Brother Leland, in prayer. Turn your Bibles, John chapter 4. And what we're doing here is, if you want to keep the scope of things, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we have the gospel, uh, all going all the way back to creation in John chapter 1, the history and events leading up to the birth of Christ. Then we have the silent period basically from the birth until the baptism. And then from the baptism to the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. And now we are in the first Passover uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem. The first Passover was where he talked to Nicodemus. If you remember John chapter 2, Jesus had just cleansed the temple. He had driven out the money changers and all of those things. And then he is returning back to uh, Galilee and he goes through Samaria. The traditional route that the Jewish people took when they were traveling would be to cross the Jordan River at Jericho and to go up on the um, east bank of the Jordan River so as not to have to deal with the Samaritans. There was a great deal of hatred, uh, racism, if you would, between the Samaritans. And, and some of this was not unmerited. The Samaritans, as a people, were a mixed people. They were the uh, heathen uh, uh, godless tribes that had come. And when we say godless, we mean that they knew not anything of the God of the Bible. Of course, they had their own gods. They were involved in the most heinous uh, children, uh, child sacrifice and human sacrifice and all of these terrible things. And 
they mixed with the remnant of the Jews that were left in the land, and they mixed their religion as well. These were the same people that came back to uh, Zerubbabel and said, we want to build the temple with you. And And Zerubbabel says, you have no right, you have no memorial, you have no place, because you have left the God of the Bible. And that began a hatred and an animosity that grew and grew until the time of Jesus here. Uh, we had Jewish men praying in public saying, I thank, I thank you, God, that I am not a woman, a dog, or a Samaritan. And uh, uh, that was the culture in which Jesus stopped at the woman on the well and spent two days there with the Samaritans, giving them an opportunity to believe on the Jewish Messiah. Jesus did not compromise. He did not say, well, listen, we're just not going to use the J-word disciples here because we don't want to offend the Samaritans. Uh, I've had people tell me, well, you know, when you're witnessing to Jewish people, don't use the Jesus word. It's, it's really offensive. Oh, well, wait a minute. If you don't use the Jesus word, you don't get saved. Oh, oh but they're willing to believe. And I said, you know, you got a problem here. This, this is not. The Bible is an offensive book. It is our job not to make it unnecessarily or add our own personality of offense to what's in the Bible. Amen? Are are we together there? But it is our duty not to compromise the Scripture. So Jesus now has left... um, Verse 43, John chapter 4, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they also went up unto the feast, went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So here we have Jesus coming in. And of course, any time Jesus was there, there was quite the hubbub. People were making noise. And this nobleman... Now, you have to understand some things. The the nobility of the Jewish people were by their tribes by families in the tribes, and by personal wealth and possessions. Now, you do not have a choice over your heritage, do you? You cannot change your parents. You cannot change your last name. You cannot change who your grandparents were. And the Jewish people, of course, gloried in their pedigree because it was given to them by God. God had called out Abraham, and then he had narrowed it down a little further to Isaac and then to Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, the the 12 tribes of Israel. And, of course, two of those were the sons of, of, uh, of Joseph. There were actually 13 tribes, if you count them all together. 
And so as we go through here, there was this noble man. And the Jewish people also believed that God was the giver of wealth. And that if you were wealthy, it was because God had blessed you. So this man thought quite a bit of himself. That was what his culture and his upbringing had told him. I'm a Jewish person. I'm a leader of the Jewish people. I'm responsible for them. God gave me my pedigree. He gave me my wealth. I am important and my son is sick. Therefore, Jesus should pay attention to me. How many of you see the reasoning in that? It's just A plus B. It's straightforward. Now, is that the way we should approach God? Absolutely not. But Jesus had some teaching to do now, didn't he? He had to unteach the prejudice and the self-righteousness that the Jewish people had developed. And Jesus is going to start that. So, we come here in verse 48. Look at Jesus' answer. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. What kind of answer is that? He comes, he finds Jesus, he says, I I want you to heal my son, my son is dying. And Jesus says, except you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Uh, Unless I prove to you who I am, you will not believe who I am. Now, was that statement true? Absolutely. Over and over again, we find this in the gospel account. And the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Now, doesn't that sound straightforward? But let's complicate it. How many of you know how this story ends? Ends with a little funny twist to it, doesn't it? So, And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, Thy son, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And himself believed in his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. The first miracle was the water into wine, John chapter 2. Now was the healing of the nobleman's son. But do you get what happened here? Jesus is into exposing the source and the depth of your faith. Now, unfortunately, that wasn't very flattering for the nobleman here, now was it? Because as Jesus said, go thy way, thy son liveth, he, he listened, he believed. He turned around, he went home. But when the servants came and said, your son lives, when did it happen? Ah, now I believe. You see... We have to understand something about the word believe. And Jesus is using these living illustrations to teach. There's a lot of people that are willing to believe Jesus to make their life better. Willing to believe good things about Jesus. But you've got to go all the way. 
You've got to stop just trusting Jesus to get what you need from life and learn to trust Jesus for who He is. What was the preface to this story? A prophet is not believed in his own country. That's the, We read that verse just a few minutes ago. And Jesus is going to illustrate that truth over and over again. Turn with me to Mark, Mark I mean Matthew, sorry. Uh, why don't we go to Luke chapter 4. The references are here in your outline, so you, if you like to look these things up. In fact, I had actually thought about trying to print a... Uh, harmonized copy of the New Testament, put all the verses in order in four different columns, and then I realized that if you really want one of those, there are several good ones out there that have already been printed, and so why reinvent the wheel? Uh, See Andrew or Hannah, and they will order you a copy of uh, a harmony, and if you want the, the one that I'm using, I do believe that you can get it in a PDF uh, off of the Gutenberg or um, um, uh, through archive books or something like that, as they've taken many of these old books and just PDF them, and, and they're free, and you can get some of those. But we, as we continue the story, Jesus comes up through um, Cana uh, into Capernaum, and uh, we're now in uh, Luke. Chapter 4 and verse 14. And uh, it tells us here, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So we have Jesus preaching in the synagogues. There's quite a time period here of, of months as we are leaving the, um, the first Passover. We are going through the first year of Jesus' ministry tonight. I hope we will get to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we're not going to go through the whole Sermon on the Mount. Sorry. Uh, That takes months all by itself. Uh, But we are moving through that. It was part of Jesus' evangelistic tour or preaching tour of the synagogues in the land of Canaan. And he comes to Nazareth and he he stands in line as was his habit in the city of Nazareth. Uh, as Jesus was growing up, it tells us that he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he was, as his custom was, standing in line to read. They did not have, uh, the, the uh, synagogue was not organized like our churches. Uh, they would have usually a ruler of the synagogue, but that meant he was in charge of lining up the different men of the community to read uh, it uh, it wasn't like our church. Our church is organized according to the direction of Jesus Christ. It's different. It's not the same. There there may be some similarities, but how could there not be similarities? It's a place. The synagogue was a place where they dealt with the scriptures, and the church is a place where we deal with the scriptures. Uh, but the origins are not the same. 
the church is not an improved synagogue. The church is the body of Christ. All right? It is something Jesus started. The synagogue was was a tradition, and so Jesus stood up. He read in the Sabbath day. He takes the book of uh, the scroll of Isaiah, and it says, when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And so you can imagine, as this scroll was more than likely about three to four foot high and sixty-some feet long, and it took four such scrolls to make the book of Isaiah. Jesus was picked up the scroll that he knew, and he began to go through that. Remember, no chapter divisions, no, no, uh, no verse numbers. It was not turning your uh, uh, Bible to... Uh, this, this was more than likely, our King James Bible says a book, but more than likely a scroll. It was, a book is a repository of writing. That's all that we have here. And the Jewish repository was a scroll. And so he would have, as the crowd stood there and waited, he would have rolled through this thing until he found the place that he wanted. And then he started reading. And here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I want to ask you a question. Had Jesus done all these things? Had... Uh, Jesus preached the gospel to the poor. That's why he threw the money changers out of the temple in Jerusalem, hadn't he? Had Jesus healed the brokenhearted? More than likely, he went about doing good. He's going to heal Peter's mother-in-law here in just a little bit. He, he supplied the, the wine at the feast of the uh, Cana of Galilee. He had just healed the nobleman's son who was pleading for his son's life. Uh, did he preach deliverance to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord? His message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus had done all of these things. In fact, many of these people had witnessed the miracles that Jesus had done at the feast in Jerusalem. So when Jesus closes the book, when Jesus sets down the scroll and says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. He was not making something up. He was not running and stretching at this. This was not something. But look what it says. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then they begin to talk among themselves, is this not Joseph's son? Now Jesus speaks above their babble to each other, murmuring, Ye, verse 23, ye will surely say unto me, this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And then Jesus goes on through a message here, and he talks about, in the famine in the Old Testament, God did not send anyone except to the Gentile city of Sidon where Elijah provided for 
the widow woman at Zarephath. None of the lepers in Israel was healed except Elisha healed Naaman the leper who was the captain of the Syrian army that destroyed Israel. You know what? Uh, I have in, in your outline here, this was not a pro-them sermon. Uh, this was not a pro-Nazareth sermon. Uh, this was kind of like anti-Nazareth sermon. And he's, he is saying, God didn't do any miracles in Nazareth during that time. He did them in Sidon of the Gentiles, and where Elijah, Elisha would have healed Naaman wasn't probably all that awful far from Nazareth, only uh, over east toward the Jordan River. In fact, Naaman was so offended at the Jordan River at that point, he said, this isn't even a... Uh, uh, a nice water, this is a great river. Why do I need to take a bath here? Well, because God said so. And so they have got filled with wrath and they wanted to take Jesus out and throw him off the edge of the city. Now, that was where all the garbage went. And it was a very steep place and a far drop. And, and, and the idea was to break bones back, neck, uh, to end life. Now, you stop and talk about a violent reaction here. Why did Jesus generate such a reaction? Well, what had he done to the nobleman? He had bared the source and the kind of faith that he had. It wasn't very flattering to the nobleman, now was it? Well, we are going from flattery and unflattering to shameful, are we not? We, we are going from... A tradition that was based in nothing more than tradition. And when your quote-unquote faith is laid bare. How many of you remember, uh, I know we have several people here who used to go to the Catholic Church. How many do you remember the first time that the veil was pulled off your eyes and you began to see all my life I believed these people were doing God's work and now I see that it's not true. Do you remember how shocking that was to you? How frustrating? It, it was like they lied to me. There is no Santa Claus. Uh, you have something, you have one or two responses. This was not about Santa Claus. This was their quote-unquote faith in God. And Jesus had pulled the veil off and said, your faith is in nothing but your tradition. God isn't doing anything here because you don't believe in God. And they were like, oh, yes, we do. We'll prove to you. We're going to kill you. Wow. What a faith. Wouldn't that in and of itself, shouldn't that shock you? Shouldn't that have just literally... What are we doing? We call ourselves believers in the God of Abraham and we want to kill this man who's done nothing but good. You see, Jesus is in the business of exposing weak and false faith. Because until you are willing to admit your faith doesn't work, you're not going to get the kind of faith that comes from the Bible. You're not going to trade in your feckless, feckless, worthless faith 
I've been reading too much Tim Green here. Uh, my kids know the joke there. Uh, too many words that start with the same letter in the same paragraph. But anyway, uh, you're, you're turning in your worthless faith for a faith that saves. And Jesus just passes through the midst of them. And what does He do? He keeps right on moving. And so, now we take Mark chapter 1. If we want to turn to Mark chapter 1 and verse 16. Jesus leaves the synagogue here. In verse 16, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went straightway into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And the Bible says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, not as the scribes. I just love this. Jesus taught them he was not quoting everyone else. I mean, oftentimes I'll pick up, someone will say, oh, this is a really good commentary, you'll you'll love this. And so I'll pick it up and it goes, Dr. Lightfoot said this, and Dr. So-and-so said this, and the other good doctor said this, and Spurgeon said this, and it goes down through and it quotes all of these people and all of their ideas. Well, you know what? That's great. I, I don't mind reading commentary like that. I'm, uh, I, I'm getting information. But I'll tell you, it is so refreshing when you just pick something up and it says, Thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. Stop trying to take other people's opinion and other people's ideas. Um, It used to be a thing that I actually knew of a few preachers who did this. They would uh, take the Sword of the Lord or one of these other sermon digests and they'd just literally copy a sermon out of the newspaper, off the internet, out of somebody else's sermon book and preach it as their own. I don't know how that, I don't, I don't know how you could look yourself in the mirror after you finish the message doing that. Uh, it, it, you're supposed to labor in the Word. Amen? And Jesus was teaching them as one that had authority. He was not quoting everyone else. He didn't need to quote anyone. It was His words. Amen? Guess who was there? In the synagogue. Worshipping. Unknown to everyone except the Lord Jesus Christ. A demon-possessed man. I'll tell you what, I think we've had a few over the years. If we hadn't, uh, what, what would you say? They were missing a wonderful opportunity. Uh, 
The devil wants to be in church. But if you want to keep the devil out of church, you've got to keep Jesus the center of everything you do. Amen. Uh, had another phone call uh, just this week. Hannah comes in and says, there's somebody on the phone. I think they're possessed with the demon. At least that's what they say. And, and, and so you pray. Uh, this person was supposed to be at community on Wednesday night, but we got snowed out. So we'll just trust that that was the Lord's will. Uh, uh, but they're supposed to be there this Wednesday, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But the demon-possessed man was there in the synagogue, and all of a sudden he cries out, verse 24, Mark chapter 1, Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, thou holy, the Holy One of God. Now, Jesus is setting up a precedent here. Again, the theme that we're just following through this part of the passage is Jesus shows the faith of the noble man for what it is. Jesus shows the false faith of those in the synagogue at Nazareth. Now he goes to Capernaum. And there in the synagogue is a demon-possessed man that nobody knew was a demon-possessed. And he starts saying all these nice things about Jesus. Isn't that true? One of these days I'm going to preach a sermon, Do you treat Jesus as well as the devil does? You know what? These, These demons knew who they were dealing with. And they were terrified. Are you come to destroy us? Now, of course, what were they doing? What does the devil always like to do? Draw attention to himself. And so Jesus rebukes the devil. He comes out and and is cast out and gone. And uh, by the way... If, if you don't, don't go chasing demons, all right? Can I just warn you not to do that? I actually heard there's a website that you can go to and give Bishop so-and-so $300 and he will come over and cast the demons out for you. I said, man, I'm missing a wonderful opportunity. No, what a joke. Don't play games with the devil, my friend. And everyone stops and says, wow, what authority he has. And the Bible says that when they came out of the synagogue, we're going to just follow uh, Mark's uh, pattern here. He goes into Simon Peter's house. It's still the Sabbath day. They leave the synagogue, and Simon Peter's mother has got a fever. She's laid down in bed. She cannot get up. She cannot sit up. I'm sure that every one of us here at one time or another has been under the influence of a fever, flu, kind of bug type thing that just knocks the soup out of you, and you can't even hardly roll over for a day or two. That's where she was. It was the Sabbath day. Jesus touches her and heals her. The disease leaves. And 
As the sun sets, she rises and she ministers to them. And while she's getting them a meal, the Sabbath has passed, the sun has set. It is now um, Saturday evening and the whole town, every sick person, everyone with a malady in the whole town gathers at the doorstep of Peter and Jesus heals them all. Jesus is now having multitudes follow him wherever he goes. He cannot be hid. The works that he are, is doing is proving how great uh, it was. And in verse 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, isn't that amazing? You know, we talk about Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 a lot, the prayer in Gethsemane. But I want you to understand something. Jesus was a man of prayer all through his ministry. Now, who was Jesus praying to? God the Father. Who is Jesus? God the Son. So why was he praying? Could I challenge you? If it was important enough for Jesus to take time during his limited ministry in the scope of all of history, Jesus spent three and a half physical years in his public ministry and yet a great percentage of that time was devoted to prayer. What's Jesus doing? He's revealing faith. If we fail... Can I challenge you, if you fail in serving Christ in some area of your life, it is first a prayer failure. It is first a prayer failure. We do not do things that are wrong until we have failed in our prayer relationship with God. And Jesus then uh, travels out through Galilee preaching Verse 39, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Excuse me. And we have um, a leper coming here in uh, verse uh, 40. And uh, Jesus heals uh, the leper. And... uh, Verse 45, it says, But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 5, if we can. And so now we have Jesus not being able to go anywhere without being mobbed by the masses of people wanting to be healed, wanting to experience, wanting to listen to him. And he's there by the Sea of Galilee and the crowd is pressing and getting closer and closer and just ready to push him right into the water. And so what Jesus does, and wisely so, he grabs the closest boat that is there and of course he knows who owns it fellow named Peter. And he asked Peter to push out a little from land, set down the anchor, and Jesus sits down on the edge of the boat and teaches for hours. You think I'm long-winded. Jesus would teach for hours upon hours. 
And the people just simply listened as Jesus taught. And then he tells Peter, launch out into the deep. Throw the nets down and you're going to catch some fish. And Peter's like, no, Lord, I know you're a great teacher. And I know you do all these miracles, but I'm the fisherman around here. I mean, that was just the way Peter was, wasn't it? He said, we've toiled all night and we haven't caught anything. Night is when you fish, Lord. The fish can't see the net. They swim into it and we catch fish at night. And Peter is trying not to be condescending, but I am sure that that he was doing a pretty good job of it there. And, And he says, nevertheless, at thy word, we'll let down the net. What did Jesus say? Cast out all your nets. Peter says, I'm going to let down one. I'm going to humor you, Lord. And I just love this mental picture. As Peter drops that net into the water, the angels show up. And they start grabbing every fish in that part of Lake of Galilee and stuffing them into the net. And I mean, there's a well, bubbling in the water and some movement down there. And, and Peter's going, something ain't right here. Andrew, pull, and Andrew goes, oh, it's not moving. And, and Peter was a very powerful man. And it says that he began to pull in. And, and now the net is beginning to tear under the weight of the fish. And they call James and John, and they fill up all four boats, or two boats, so that they're just about to sink. And, and, and they're just sitting there, and Peter's going... Remember all that stuff I said about fishing, Lord? How about you just understand I'm a worthless slob. Leave me alone. And what did Jesus say? Again, he's revealing faith. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This was not the first time Jesus had called Peter. And he calls them. And they begin to follow him. Then we go to Matthew chapter 5. On the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sits in a mountain there and he goes through the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus is doing in the first few months of his earthly ministry is he is giving the single greatest treatise on what the Christian life ought to be. If you want to know how God wants you to behave, read the Sermon on the Mount. If you want a spiritual checkup, the Beatitudes are a great spiritual checkup. How are you doing on that porn spirit thing? Are, are you starting to think that you're doing pretty well and You're not so poor in spirit anymore? Well, it's time to start over again. Because it's all about Jesus and none about you. Have you gotten excited about what God has used you to do? Well, let's get back to morning. You're going to do a whole lot better there than you will congratulating yourself. Amen? Let us work our way through. Blessed are the peacemakers is the last one before the persecution. And 
I, I believe the peacemakers are the soul winners. Because that's how peace is made with God. Is when someone gets saved. And I'll tell you something, our church needs one thing. We have got to see more souls saved. Again, what's Jesus doing? He's revealing faith, is he not? He's putting faith to the test. He's giving you a way to check out your faith. Nobleman, the rebellious synagogue at Nazareth, Jesus calls the first four of his disciples. They, they left their father. They left their family. They left their nets. They followed Jesus. But we get back here to Luke chapter 5. After Jesus has made a, a pass throughout the land of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, he runs into the demon-possessed man in the synagogue of Capernaum, then goes home and heals Peter's mother-in-law. And by the way, how could he be the first pope with a mother-in-law? But well, that's another sermon for another day. But then he, the whole city is gathered at the doorstep of Peter's house seeking his healing. And it's a few days later that Peter's telling Jesus, you don't go fishing during the day, Lord. You go fishing at night. It doesn't work that way. Jesus had to get Peter's attention, didn't he? He was revealing the kind of faith, and Peter finally got it. He said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Lord, there's nothing in me that you can use. God says, ha-ha, now I got you where I want you. Now let me explain to you how it works. The Sermon on the Mount. Amen? All of these things happened in order. There's a story here. There's a order of events that Jesus was not passive in bringing into uh, occurrence and making it happen because he had something he was trying to do. He was trying to get these 12 men prepared for his resurrection and to take leadership of his church when he ascended to heaven. Now, I'll tell you what, the little bit we know about the apostles, that was a pretty tall task, wasn't it? But Jesus was up to it, wasn't he? And what we need to do as we read their stories, as we go through this, we need to understand that God wants to examine our faith. He wants to reveal what kind of faith we have. Is it the kind of faith that's going to stand the test? Is it the kind of faith that's going to follow Jesus, even though all he's doing is going around to the synagogues and preaching, and Jesus is doing all the miracles, and it seems like the disciples aren't doing anything. Well, that's going to happen down the road. Jesus has got to train them before he sends them out. Amen? He's first going to send out the apostles in groups of two, and then he's going to send out 70 in groups of two, and so on and so forth, but... I'll tell you, if you got a few extra minutes this week, read through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, 7. It, it will help. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's just take a moment and pray, and then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.